0: Welcome to CommuniCast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond, which is a global communication skills training organization. Today, I am talking with Doug Knoll. Doug is an ex-lawyer turned mediator and peacemaker who teaches you how to listen people into existence. Check out the episode to hear Doug discuss the four elements of active listening, the power of storytelling, and how he uses his strategies to turn inmates serving life sentences into peacemakers. I hope you enjoy. Doug, thank you so much for joining me today. If you can, to get us kicked off, maybe just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, background, career journey, and really what you're working on today.
1: Sure. So I am seventy-one years old. I was born in Southern California. Unfortunately, I was born with a lot of defects. I was disabled. I had. I was born crippled. I'm almost completely not completely blind, but very close. Uh, deaf, bad teeth, left-handed. <laughs> I was got in kind of the wrong line for everything except intellect. I, d- I was blessed with a good intellect, and that that proved to be in the early years a blessing and a curse. So, anyways, I was way behind in grade levels, and finally, in the fourth grade, a nurse figured out that maybe they should check my eyes of course they do that on a regular basis mm-hmm. now but back then they didn't do it at all and all of a sudden they find out my vision is 2400 I mean I can't see anything so that I get some big coke lens black glasses so now I'm the classic nerd <laughs> 50 years before nerds are cool <laughs> and the whole thing is just a big buzzkill for the girl so my social life and emotional life growing up was pretty horrible my parents I grew up in affluence and privilege but my parents had no clue how to deal with me mm-hmm. and so that created a lot of emotional trauma for me. Uh, but I ended up going to Dartmouth College and graduated, came back to California, went to law school, and graduated from law school and decided that I didn't want to live in either Los Angeles or San Francisco, so I moved to Central California. And I, I worked for a year for a judge and then joined a firm that grew me to be a, a trial lawyer. And in fact, uh, about six weeks after I joined the firm, I tried my first jury trial. And that's how my career started. And for the next 22 years, I was a trial dog. All I did is try cases. I probably tried over two hundred cases in that period. All m- many of them very complex, large dollar financial transactions, and com- and complex disputes. Along the way, I had a change in the way that I looked at the world, and mostly due to my martial arts training, because I, during that time period, I became a secondary black belt and decided that being a trial lawyer was not my thing and ended up in mid-career at 48 years old going back to school and earning my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies because I wanted to be a problem solver, not a problem creator. And uh, that led to a lot of harsh and hard discussions with my law partners. And ultimately, one day, I just walked out. I left $10 million on the table and walked away and started my peacemaking and mediation business in November of 2000 and uh, never looked back and since that time which has been 22 years that was kind of my halfway mark i guess i developed a really innovative and powerful way to calm people down based on neuroscience and actually at the time i dis- i discovered this idea and had really refined it but then this that was in 2005 and then in 2007 a brain scanning study came out of ucla showing exactly why what i was doing worked it was really pretty pretty amazing to have the science support what was an obvious very practical and effective practice and that led in 2010 to or uh, to uh, with my colleague Laurel Coffer starting the Prison of Peace Project and in Prison of Peace we started out training women in the largest most violent prison in the world how to be peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence and our core our, the foundational skill we taught them was this de-escalation skill that I just talked about and So we spent three years in that prison and it was repurposed to a men's prison. We went back in, started training men, got the same incredible results, and then started getting grants from the state of California to expand into other prisons. And today we are in 15 California, well, pre-pandemic, we were in 15 California prisons, um, 12 prisons in Greece, a prison in Connecticut and startups in Northern Italy and Nairobi, Kenya. And because of the pandemic, obviously we couldn't go into prisons. So we've spent the last year filming our entire curriculum, our training curriculum, and it'll be available worldwide as soon as we get out of post-production, which should be probably in June or July. So we're really excited that the Prison of Peace Project is gonna have the ability to expand anywhere in the world where people want to work with incarcerated populations and teach them how to really stop violence in prisons through peacemaking and mediation practices. They're very practical, very hard-headed. This is not tree-hugging stuff. It's all based on science. And it's what Laurel and I do and teach. We're both professors and train, train people and also practice as mediators. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of where we're at. I've written four books. And uh, my fourth book, Deescalate, was published in 2017. And I, I kind of teach people how to calm angry people in less than 90 seconds or less.
0: Wow. That is an amazing story. Just if you just think about some of the things that you've talked about here with the martial arts and the black belt, the law degree, the law partner, you're going now into what you're doing in the prisons are all amazing. Then you layer that on top of overcoming so many challenges and obstacles that you faced as a child is really inspiring. And I love how you threw left-handed in there into the list. I'm a lefty as well. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Exactly. And I've never asked my parents, I'm gonna have to ask them because I'm assuming when they realized I was left-handed, they maybe tried to course correct because some things I'm left-handed at, some things I'm right-handed at. I play sports right-handed, but I eat left-handed, I write left-handed. So I think they were trying to like, no, we don't want to deal with this. But wow, that is just so fascinating. And if I think of of what you've gone through and what you've done from you with the martial arts, the legal field, and now with you the the peacemaking, a common thread there to me seems to be would be communication. Communication is going to be very important and critical in all of those areas. So from your perspective, what to you does it mean to be a great communicator?
1: It means that you're a great listener and you really understand the four and can practice appropriately the four levels of reflective listening now now the second on, on top, you know communication in, it involves a lot of different things you know communication can and should be at times persuasive at times it has to convey information at times it has to be inspiring but i think fundamentally before anything else you have to know how to listen and we are not trained how to listen mm-hmm. Uh, there are a, um, people take these so-called active listening courses where you're using I statements. Of course, none of that works. It never has. It's a it's really a misunderstanding of the work of Thomas Gordon, who invented the term active listening in the 1950s, and and people just get it wrong. And I'm still amazed that in in uh, graduate schools, both for psychology and also psychotherapy and in mediation and peacemaking, the professors are still teaching I statements. And it, it, it's an old outmoded way of listening that doesn't work. It just gets people angrier. So I think that's the most important thing. Learn how to listen. Learn what mirroring is, paraphrasing, core messaging, and affect labeling. Those are the four levels of reflective mm-hmm. listening. And once you learn those and you've really mastered them and you understand the purpose of each level of listening, now you understand where your speaker is coming from and whatever you need to communicate, you can you can frame whatever that communication is in a way that it's going to be received well.
0: I think that is so important and it's something that comes up quite a bit not only in the work that I do in my day-to-day but in the conversations that I'm having here as well is the importance of listening for me it's really the foundation of being an effective communicator because you hit it you need to understand the other person's point of view where they're coming from not necessarily just hearing the words that they're saying but really starting to understand what their view is what their position is perhaps thinking about why they are feeling that way or why they have that particular point of view and you know you've heard it in so many different ways said you know people don't listen to understand they listen to respond things of that nature but really when you move through those four levels of listening is where the the difference really happens you can somewhat step back from your own point of view really you know, tune in to what the other person is saying, then I think from there is when you're able to try to move forward to a resolution or, you know, really achieve that ultimate goal of of communication.
1: Right. What what I teach all my students is de-escalate first, then problem solve. And you and until you get people calmed down, they can't even begin to solve problems or listen to you because, especially if they're angry or emotionally upset, because their prefrontal cortex is offline. Mm-hmm. What the what the scanning study shows that when you core mastogenathic label, the two deeper levels of reflective listening, within 90 seconds, those brain centers, the prefrontal cortex comes back online and the, and the, uh, the reactivity of the emotional centers is greatly diminished. And I've seen this. It works every time. I mean, it's, the how, it's how human beings are hardwired. And, and so it's amazing to watch. Even in maximum security prisons where violence is rampant, I've watched my students stop gang riots literally stop gang riots by how they listen to the to the gang leaders and and i mean they've stopped murders. i mean every kind of violence you can think of in prison has been ameliorated by the fact that our students get trained and master these skills and use them so it's the it's to me it's the foundational skill of life
0: definitely and i've been Taking feverish notes here because I have a nine year old and a 12 year old at home that I'm thinking, all right, yes, de escalate, good, listen. And sometimes it almost is like a, a little uh, mini prison ride over here. They're trying to overthrow <laughs> us here. I'm like, whoa, oh, right. whoa, calm down. <laughs> well, let me
1: let me talk about that for a second. This yeah. last level of listening affect labeling, where you're really reflecting the emotions of, a, of another person using a you statement. What the studies show is that parents that start ethic labeling their children at between four and six years old, within three to four years, those children are two grade levels ahead of their peers. Wow. And on rankings of sociability and popularity and, the, and emotional maturity, they are, they are miles ahead of their peers. So this is not only effective in the business world in helping people calm down, it's also a very powerful tool for coaching your kids into emotional competency. And the science is just unbelievable around this, how powerful it is.
0: And I would think that these skills have been become even more necessary or needed or important over the, the past couple of years where you know stress has been running high. People have just been on edge about a number of things. There's just so many different things coming at them and a lot of change going right. on in the world, whether it was their job being impacted, or, you know, I am, I've been used to working here. Now, all of a sudden I'm working at home and I have so many different things going on. So being able to use these skills, I'm sure has become more and more important in a wide variety of settings.
1: Well, they're, they're certainly more and more useful because as our stress levels go up, our emotional reactivity goes up and being able to manage both our own emotions and the emotions of others becomes really important. Uh, However, I haven't, my problem is I'm just one guy, and I'm the only one out there teaching this stuff. I've ever been students that I've taught, and so there isn't like this huge groundswell movement learning how to listen to other people into existence, which is the phrase how I describe this work. We're learning how to listen to other people into existence, so it's a slow go, <laughs> but but I think that eventually you know this will catch on, and and because it is so powerful, and the momentum will grow, and it will become a household. A household term and also a household skill that every person will be able to utilize. That's my goal.
0: Absolutely. I think it's definitely something that is important and I can very confident that these skills will will be adopted widespread eventually. So now that is fantastic. So we, we talked a lot about the listening component, but you know, from where you're sitting, what are you seeing some other communication skills, soft skills, whatever you want to call them, that really are important for folks to focus on today.
1: I think that to be be, today, one of the problems that we have today is that we're just bombarded with so much information, most of it and most of it is white noise and unimportant. So if you're a communicator and you want to be heard, You have, there are a couple of things that you have to be able to do. One, you have to be able to think very, very clearly. And interestingly enough, communication is not only world it's written communication, you've got to be a strong writer. So you have to be able to think, you need to be able to think clearly and deeply. And then you need to be able to write in a way that expresses that clarity and depth with as much brevity as possible. And that's very difficult. And it takes a lot of training to be able to do that. And once you learn how to write, think deeply, write clearly, and write with brevity, then your oral communication will improve dramatically because the way you write is the way you think. And if you train yourself in these skills, then when you communicate, you you can say a few words and communicate a lot. The other thing to understand is that All decision-making is emotional. uh, This idea of rationality is a big myth. It's been a myth for 4,000 years. There's no science to support the idea that human beings are rational beings. We are emotional beings first with Mm -hmm. a little bit of rationality. I like to say we're 98% emotional and 2% rational. So if we're communicators, we need to be in touch with our own emotional experience. We need to be emotionally self-aware. And then when we communicate, we need to communicate to the emotional beings in front of us, not to their rationality but to their emotions. And that's where persuasion comes in, and that's where inspiration comes in, and that's where motivation comes in, and that's where becoming a leader that everyone wants to follow comes in, is understanding that your audience are, is emotional, not rational, and so you go, you've, got to, you've got to appeal to those emotions and then provide the rational justification at the end. But don't start out and make rational arguments and expect people to follow along. And this was something that I actually knew as a trial lawyer. You know, when I get up in front of a jury, when I got up in front of a jury and argued, I didn't argue logic. I I I, my, I couched my arguments in terms of emotions, and then provided the legal reasoning mm-hmm. and the law at the end, but not at the beginning. Storytelling uh, is, yes. an, is another aspect. Yeah. Another aspect of communication. People relate well to stories because it's emotional they create an emotional connection so learning how to tell stories in fact I've got, I got I got really involved in storytelling and I, I, I bought this deck called story the storytelling deck and it's uh, uh, cards that um, allow you to frame a story about just about anything with any experience so we're all great storytellers we just need to have the framework in which to do that so I really work hard on storytelling and the, the other aspect is metaphor Learning how to use metaphor, and, that's, and you say, well, what's a metaphor? Well, a metaphor is simply a linguistic expression that encapsulates an idea with an image. So I could say, well, it's like you were, Scott, you were walking through this forest and this gentle, beautiful snow was falling and, it, and the moon was out and it was gorgeous. And all of a sudden the wind came up and within 10 minutes you were in this blizzard and you were completely lost. And you went from absolute serenity to confusion, and anxiety in seconds, and you didn't know what to do with yourself see the image that that creates hmm so learning how to use metaphor is another powerful tool of communication just because you're in charge doesn't mean that people are going to listen to you
0: yep
1: you know and that's that's a mistake that a lot of people make and the other thing that, that I think is important both as a f- former trial lawyer and as a person who teaches what I teach today is that this does this is not natural stuff it takes a lot of practice And it takes a lot and you need to have people teach you how to do it. Uh, You can't, it's very difficult to pick up a book on good good communication and learn how to practice. You've got to have people who model the skills and can coach you in how to become more effective at whatever kind of communication you're doing. And as you can tell, just from my description, there's, there are a whole bunch of inputs to come into this to get a clear, brief, persuasive statement out.
0: Definitely, and you you just exactly described what uh, my main business Communispawn, does. So the checks in the mail. So thank you for the the ringing endorsement of how <laughs> we approach things. Uh, but it really is you have to to model and coach. And I remember when I first joined the company, I went through one of our trainings, and it was a two day training. And the early into the second day, I'll be like I was like, I'll be that instructor has been modeling every single skill that they've been teaching us flawlessly this entire time. And once you, when you model it, you get coached on it, you get feedback, they course correct with you. That ultimately leads to behavioral change really in any type of activity, whether it's public speaking or you're golfing, playing tennis, whatever it may be, having a coach, seeing people model it, getting the feedback and course correcting quickly is what's going to, to lead to change. But so much great stuff there that you talked about the writing is something that we see a lot and it's always interesting to me to see the big delta in communication styles that have happened one with folks coming out of school where in school you're taught to write very academically whether it's even high school or college very long very verbose lots of paragraphs lots of supporting sentences And then you swing all the way to the other side with just the the social media, the quote Twitter types of posting, very short acronyms, uh, hard to decipher. And with business, you you have to fall definitely in between there, where if you're sending, and and this is say from a corporate setting, but really can work anywhere, if you're sending a message out to say a mixed audience, maybe it's people on your team, somebody above you in the organization, somebody lateral to you in the organization, each different person or group, they might be looking for something different in your message. So, how do you structure that message to get the key information out there for that everyone's perhaps going to need and then provide the follow on details? That's what we work a lot with our clients on how do you get the message out there? Because I've received emails where I've just given up on them. I'm like, I'm reading and reading. I'm, I have no idea what this person right. wants from me or why I got this message. So, having a, a structure and a framework to get the key point out there very soon and then what do I need you to do? Uh,
1: well, that's right, and, and what, you're, what you're pointing to is a major problem that, that again, is the skill that's not taught. Well, two things you, two things you said that, that drive me crazy. <laughs> First, uh, good, good writing is not taught in school anymore. Profe- uh, fr- from grade school on, teachers are not, don't have the time and they don't have the skills to teach critical thinking. And critical thinking is developed through good writing. And teaching somebody, teaching an eight-year-old how to write is a really difficult proposition. And it takes a lot of time. It's labor-intensive, and ever since the 60s, that skill has been diminished. The other thing that I think would be useful here's a quick tip that I learned: uh, is that our brains do not do well with unstructured information. Mm-hmm. So whenever we communicate, we want to structure. And let's suppose that you're asked to give a presentation on something that I want you to talk about the color blue, the color blue, and quantum mechanics, and you don't know. <laughs> and you're sitting there, saying, what? So so you simply you simply structure what you're going to say by three questions what what if what next what what if what next if you simply respond to those three statements you can talk about anything even if you don't know anything about it Mm -hmm. so when you're sending a message out to people the first thing you want to do is make sure that it's structured the second thing you want to do is think about the pain points Why should somebody be motivated to read this? What do I need them to do? How do I address their pain points to get them to be, because what I'm gonna tell them is gonna help them solve their problem. And if you can't do that, then you probably shouldn't send out the communication because nobody's gonna read it. And if you can't structure it, you shouldn't send it out because to your point, if you ramble all over the place Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with poor grammar and poor spelling and poor syntax and overly wordy and verbose, People don't have the time for that. Yep. I, I I I'll just say that as a lawyer, even back in the in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, when I, I wrote a lot of legal briefs, um, I always wrote to the eighth grade level, mm-hmm. on the scale of of readability. If if I if I couldn't, and it's much harder to write to the eighth grade level than it is to write to the graduate school level. Because, not because I was dealing with stupid judges, although many of them were not very bright, <laughs> frankly, uh, but they didn't have time to digest a very erudite, abstract discussion of the law. I needed I needed to get right to the point, tell them what I wanted them to do, and tell them why they should do it. And I had to do that at the eighth grade level. So I would recommend anybody who's, a, who's in business writing, never write above the 8th grade level, and now we've got all kinds of, you can get Word and a bunch of other word processing programs that will tell you exactly what your word count is and, you know, what the level is. And when you're speaking, you really don't want to speak above the 8th grade level because we don't have, it's not that people aren't stupid, it's that they don't have the bandwidth or the time to digest what you're going to say. And so we do not want to impress people with how smart we are. We want to impress them with how well we can communicate an idea to them. And that means keeping it really simple. And that's hard to do. Yeah,
0: One of the prior guests was talking about how children's books have helped him become a better communicator. That's because right. In essence, it's getting out oftentimes complex concepts, but putting them out there and communicating them in a very you know, basic, simple, clear, short way. That's and right. So that point, you don't want to come out and try and impress and use big words and go on and on and on, which some people try to do because people are going to tune out they don't have the time or the energy for it
1: so so and this is this is the problem with with graduate schools uh and even undergraduate is that the professors get graded by how much they publish right Mm -hmm. so they and they all have each of their disciplines have their own jargon and their own stuff and so they they try to mystify everything and say look how smart i am because i can write in a way that only only those who have been admitted into the club can understand when most of the time they can't understand it anyways Well, let uh, let me tell you a story. I remember in law school, reading part of the law school curriculum involves reading a lot of judicial opinions, they're called cases, and for the first year and a half, all through law school, I would read these things and I couldn't make sense of them. I said, this is just stupid. It took me 10 years in practice to finally realize that it wasn't because I was stupid. It was because the judge was stupid the judge couldn't write clearly. And because the judge didn't know how to articulate what he or she was trying to express, they put all this flowery language and all this BS and wrapped it around, so nobody, so hoping that nobody could see, really see their confusion. Yeah. And I realized that the best opinions, the best cases were ones that were short and brief and to the point and didn't have all this junk in it.
0: Yep.
1: And you see very little of that in the law. And, and you see very little, little of it outside of the law as well. So if you want to be powerful, be brief and to the point and concise. Obviously.
0: So Doug, if you think about your career journey and, and the success that you've had, we, we talked a lot about listening and writing, but is there you know, one, maybe two skills that you would say that you could point to that have really helped you throughout your career to be successful?
1: Well, yeah, I would say there are two things that have made a big difference. One, learning how to be a critical thinker, which is not something that, you learn overnight. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of teaching, a lot of learning to be a good critical thinker. And the second thing is learn, learning how to listen to and reflect emotions and being emotionally aware. Uh, those two skills are probably the two most powerful skills that I have. Everything else that I teach is based on those two ideas.
0: You know, self-awareness is something that does come up a lot in you're really understanding you know, how you're feeling when you communicate because it's going to impact the message, whether it is simply just the tone, the inflection, the body language, or right. even the words that you're choosing because of the state that you're in, whether you're angry, frustrated, happy, burnout, whatever it is. So kind of stepping back and you know, really understanding where am I at and making the decision, should I be communicating right now? Should I send this message? Should I pick up the phone now? Or maybe wait, give it time for whatever, maybe. And sometimes it's that I'm overly excited, and you don't want to make decisions one way or the other just because we're where you are emotionally. So I think that is. It's, it
1: <laughs> you just you just made my point. All our decisions are emotional.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and I would say this: the other problem, the other thing about communication is that the best kind of communication is face-to-face oral communication for the mm-hmm. most part. Yeah. Uh, but but that is a skill that most people are not comfortable with, either and even pre-pandemic we've seen a a huge decline in the ability of people to meet face to face and talk to each other and and so i tell people i first of all i don't text so if you want to contact me you can email me and then we'll set up a zoom call but i will not i will not communicate people with with anything of significance with text Mm And emails, I would tend to keep very short and brief and say, let's talk about this over Zoom. And I I really force people to -to face-to-face communication. Zoom is great because you can do, you know, anytime, anywhere. So, so, but too many young people have not been taught the social skills of how to listen and how to communicate. And so they resort to texting and Mm -hmm. they don't even like email. They just rather do everything by messenger or texting or Instagram or whatever. And as a result, they never learn proper communication skills. And i think it, it i it, and that creates a lot of conflict which in one way is okay because as a peacemaker that gives me a lot of business right because <laughs> all conflict is based on bad communication and poor emotional management so so but the conflict just gets worse and worse and worse because we're not able to sit there and listen and evaluate and communicate appropriately those skills aren't being exercised and we see this especially with young people and we even see a lot of people having angst moving back into an office environment where They've lost their social skills over the pandemic and their skills that have to be exercised, just like athletic skills.
0: Absolutely. And, I, you know, I see this with you know, my younger kids, just from a phone skill perspective, whenever I have to call them and talk to them on the phone, it, it's frustrating it's Just yeah. simply you know, getting them to, to focus and, and even just hold the phone up, take it off speaker. If you're around your friend, let's just talk, put the phone up. Uh, and you know just working on those skills because you said most people now young younger folks that they're defaulting just to the text messages and the right. snaps and all that stuff which is fine for certain things but when you need to have a, an important conversation, having those skills is critical
1: that's right that's right and the, and the and the kids that master good communication skills will go far people are going to be selected for leadership not based on knowledge they're going to be based it's going to be based on their communication skills their ability to motivate a group of people towards a goal that's going to be that's going to be the 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 primary skill of the 21st century and it's not being taught anywhere it's not being taught in graduate school It's not being taught in college it's not being taught in K-12 and it's certainly not being taught at home so to become a good communicator is going to take a lot of effort but it's the payoff is huge
0: it's it's massive. And if I think of my career primarily in sales, I was never the top salesperson, but I continuously grew throughout the ranks and moved into more progressively responsible roles and leading sales organizations. Primarily, I attributed to my communication skills, being able to understand people, convey my thoughts clearly, mm-hmm. motivate and engage with people, and have right. a sense of likability because you know you listen and make people feel valued. So that is tremendously uh, contributed to my career success and obviously for me something that's you're trying to stress with my kids to build those schools and you know getting excited when they have opportunities at school to present and to do different projects like that rather than just rote memorization oh yeah all that stuff learning learning
1: learning taking public speaking at at a very young age and i think probably starting in middle school and just practicing your public speaking over and over again I can't over I started I started my took my first public speaking class when I was in the seventh grade and you know you just build on that build on those skills and I, I was in college I was an English literature major I I thought I was probably going to go to law school so I thought all right well so what's the best major for law it could, it's either philosophy mathematics or English literature those are the only three uh, undergraduate degree pro major disciplines that teach you how to do critical thinking. You don't want to be a poli sci, you don't want to go to political science, you don't want to do government, you don't want to do sociology or those other because they all you do in undergraduate work is spit back what the Mm -hmm. teacher tells you, you've got to learn how to think. And mathematics, philosophy and English literature, you got to. That's where you learn how to think. And it it paid off. I mean, I prepared me for law school.
0: So Doug, who has been someone throughout your career throughout your life that has influenced your communication style? And what was it that, that you took from them and made your own?
1: That's a great question. And you notice that I'm pausing. So nobody is immediately springing to mind.
0: I love the pause one, just to take the time, and, as you mentioned, not just jump into it. Right.
1: You know, nothing's really coming to mind. I do. Remember back when I was a young lawyer, uh, there were we there were in those days we had printed magazines imagine that (laughs) and there were some people who were contributors to both the california lawyer magazine which no longer is in existence and a couple of the other legal magazines that were really focused on what we're talking about how to be an effective communicator in the courtroom as a trial lawyer and I don't, I can't remember their names, but I do remember reading a bunch of articles and really saying, oh, oh, oh. And so I think it was, for me, it was a matter of self-study, practice, Mm -hmm. learning and watching. I I never saw many lawyers in the courtroom that, that I was really impressed with until, much, much later in my career when I was, and I am an arbitrator today, and I was a part of a three-panel arbitration involving um, a big agricultural dispute, and the lawyer representing one of the parties in that case was the best lawyer I have ever seen in action. He was in his, he's older than I was, he was in his mid-70s. Unbelievably good. What made him good? He was honest, he was eloquent but not eloquent in a flowery way he was very direct and very um and he had a, a way to make contact with each of us and he was and it, and, it was, and there was no BS in this guy I mean it was really effective he was probably the example of one of the best lawyers I've seen as a communicator mm-hmm. outside of law uh, I haven't seen I love Zig Ziglar when he was around but of course, you know now everybody wants to be Zig Ziglar. But Ziglar had had a way of telling stories and communicating ideas that I thought that, that I that I really enjoyed. I listened to a lot of his tapes when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that style doesn't go over so well today. But there was a lot to learn from from him. Uh, I can't think of anybody else that. I think for me, it's it's been the influence of a lot of different factors. You know, I'm an avid reader, so reading. Reading, reading, reading helps a lot. In fact, I don't think you can be a good communicator unless you're an avid reader. You've got to really expose yourself to a lot of different ideas, and the only way you can do that is by either reading books or listening to books. I use Audible a lot these days. And learning how other people, especially authors, how do they portray ideas and characters and plots? You can learn a lot from that.
0: That's one of the things that I stress to my kids a lot is reading is just so important when it comes to communication for a number of reasons you know what you had talk about kind of understanding how to convey ideas bringing in different points of view and then for me one of the best ways that I've always learned just really to improve my grammatical skills is through reading.
1: You know, That's if you're right.
0: Reading a book you start to see okay here's how here's how you do this here's how you That's would structure right. this That's right. It was always so much easier to understand than just trying to learn the concept and then practice when I can see it in action and go through made it that much easier. So I I agree kind of taking it in from so many different directions is important.
1: Right. So literature, studying literature and reading literature, you can do it for enjoyment, but underneath you're learning Mm -hmm. and and you're exactly right when you when you're reading good literature, even if you're reading bad literature, you're still absorbing information and you're building your vocabulary and you know, you're doing it in a way that, that is, uh, you know, it, it's not so effortful, especially if you're just reading a book to enjoy it. You're still absorbing a lot of information. Now, there, unfortunately, there are more modern authors tend to be overly verbose in their writing. They're not, they're not Steinbecks, right? <laughs> they're really brief and concise. <laughs> so you've got to use some judgment about this. But, but the more you read, I think the better, the better you are, and the better communicator you will become, even if you're reading an author who's fairly verbose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because just getting your brain stimulated by all these different ideas is really important. And I'll just say, you know, I know I'm a bit of an iconoclast. I haven't owned a television set in 40 years. I don't listen to television. I don't watch I don't watch radio. I don't have a radio. I don't listen to any of that stuff. To me, it's a waste of time. And it's, it's pollution. It's mind pollution. Mm-hmm. I'd rather take the time to read or play. I play jazz violin work work on my music and develop my brain that way than to sit in front of a television set for six hours and watch a, f- a couple of football games in a row and just waste away right. the day. And so part of, the, part of this is discipline. And do we, have, do we have the discipline to be able to do stuff that kind of goes against the, the current? <laughs> you
0: know? Well, and, and I think you, what you mentioned there is your output is gonna be a factor of your input that's right and so if you think of your your communication style what you're putting out is going to be a big factor of what you're taking and if you're, all you're taking in is social media your output's going to be in a social media style most likely or heavily influenced by that that's a really
1: if you're good bringing point bringing
0: in lots of literature there's going to have the influence so it is it's it's understanding what's important to you as an output in so many facets of life and making right. sure that the input matches that and aligns with exactly that
1: exactly correct that's exactly that's correct you know the right. old I learned how to code back in 1969 in college, uh, and that's when I first learned how to code, basic operative symbolic instruction code created by John Kemeny. And uh, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> yeah, that? <what's> that? Absolutely. <laughs> the rule still applies today.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Doug, I, I just want to be respectful of your time today. As we wrap up, any closing thoughts or a piece of advice for someone out there that's listening, whether they are just coming out of college, maybe they're mid-career, whatever it may be, just a closing piece of advice before we wrap it up today.
1: If you are listening to this and you're saying, wow, I can see that I really missed the boat on a lot of this stuff. Here's, here's what I suggest there are a number of people and you can find them on any of the Upwork or Fiverr or anything like that find somebody who is a really good editor and and just hire them for whatever it costs to start and start writing stuff uh, and then send send the stuff to them to edit with markup so you can see what the changes are Mm -hmm. because the best the best writing is rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and when you can find an editor who can really help you see the mistakes you're making and how to tighten up your language and how to change your syntax? That's the fastest way to become a good communicator. Uh, and and the other thing to do is set a discipline. I have a discipline of doing two LinkedIn posts a week. I don't post to I, I post to Facebook and Instagram and all that, but I don't I don't spend any time at it. That's really just business stuff. I mean I, mm-hmm. I'll cross what I'll do is cross post to YouTube or I'll cross post to right. LinkedIn, but my primary my primary audience is LinkedIn, because LinkedIn is the, mo- is the most intelligent audience on social media. They're all business and professional people, and so that's my audience. And you get 400 words in a post to talk about something that's pretty deep and complex. And so start thinking about, how to, what do I want to write about today? And I've already got my topics planned out for this week. And then you start, what can I say in 400 words that's going to make a difference in somebody's life? And start engaging in that practice and get and and start disciplining yourself to write two, four hundred word essays every week and post them somewhere. And in the beginning it's gonna be garbage because it takes time to practice and learn this Mm -hmm. stuff. But eventually you'll start to get good at it. And then it'll become easier and easier and easier. And that's how you that's how you do it. Practice.
0: And get the help of an editor. So critical. That's why if you look at any professional athletes, even the greatest athletes out there today, I was, you know, last week we were watching the Masters and Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. he still practices all the time, every day. So you have to continue to practice all these skills. They're just like muscles. If you don't work at them, they're going to go away. And I've even just noticed personally, if I haven't recorded myself doing a video, so I'll do videos on LinkedIn or for my company, things like that. If I go a stretch without doing them, the skills start to get rusty. I have to go back and maybe do multiple takes. Whereas before I'm just able to go for five, six, seven minutes without any flubs, whatever it may be. But if I take a break from doing it, those skills definitely need some polishing when I come back. So I love the idea, practice, Find somebody out there that can give you feedback so you can see where you need to improve and then continue to work at it.
1: So. Yeah, get a coach, get an editor. I mean, there are plenty of communication coaches out there. You gotta be used to sermon. Uh, you know, you never hire a coach that can't walk the talk, right? Mm-hmm. So, so same thing with an editor. You wanna make sure you get people who know what they're doing. But when you can find good, good people like that, good coaches and good editors, then your skills will go through the roof if you're wanting to put the effort out to make it work.
0: Definitely. Well, Doug, thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with me today. hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, I will. A special thanks again to my guest, Doug Knoll. I think Doug really nailed it when he said that the leaders of the future are going to be chosen based on their communication skills and ability to motivate people towards a goal rather than just their subject matter expertise or performance. As always, if you haven't done so, Please be sure to subscribe to CommuniCast so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thanks and have a great day.